Welcome to the Lose Weight, Live Life podcast. If you're someone who would do anything to lose weight, yet finds it impossible to stick to a diet, to eat less, or just what you think you should, this podcast is for you. I am your host, certified life and weight mindset coach, Claire McKenzie. Listen in to learn how to stop overeating, lose weight for the last time, and create a relationship with food and yourself that you love, all without diet deprivation and self-sabotage. Hi everyone and a very warm welcome to podcast episode number 146, How to Not Gain Weight in December. So I have much to share with you today. First of all, today of course is Black Friday and the only sale we run each year is very much alive and happening right now. So if you've been thinking of making yourself a priority and doing the work to improve your emotional and physical well-being whilst becoming the weight you want to be, now is your time. Go to www thebestyou.coach forward slash black to find out all the details. Secondly, I have a bonus for you with this episode, and that is that after I talk to you about how to not gain weight in December, you have got the opportunity to listen in to one of our weekly Academy coaching Q&A calls. So if you're curious about joining the Academy, you've got the opportunity to see what it's like to join with us, to be there with us, where you're going to hear me talking about weight loss firsthand. So in the Academy, we have two or three live calls each week, and you can join us live if the time works for you, if it fits with your schedule, or you can watch or listen to the replays. As you will see in this call, members who couldn't make the call live posted questions in our Facebook community ahead of the call so that I could address them, and then they could listen at a time that worked for them. But first, let's talk about how to not gain weight in December. I want to share five tips with you. The first thing I want you to consider is that there's a difference between enjoying the foods you love and overeating. Okay, and say it again, there's a difference between enjoying foods you love and overeating. One does not need to equate to the other. Enjoying the foods you love does not need to lead to overeating. It's so easy to think that overeating is enjoying the foods, but it's simply not the case. So what does enjoying the foods you love without overeating look like for you? I'd love you to answer that question. Um, I think it might look like you paying attention to what you really want and not just eating Christmas foods, for example, because they're available. You're not just eating until you're stuffed because maybe the food is on offer for free at a work party. When you think about how you want to eat over the festive period and you think about the foods you really look forward to and you differentiate those from foods you eat for the sake of it, then you're going to create a different experience for yourself and you're going to be less likely to gain weight. So for me, that would be Christmas pudding. So I would never choose to eat Christmas pudding if it was offered to me as a dessert at a restaurant. But when there's leftovers in my fridge, if I'm not careful, I find myself eating it without really enjoying it. I find myself eating it just because it's there. It's been sat in the fridge for like three days. Another family member really wanted us to have Christmas pudding and then of course they don't eat it. And so I end up eating it. There's also something to be said for having a little bit of what you fancy without eating whatever it is you fancy and enjoy to excess or until it's all gone. This is something we teach you how to do in the academy because of course, eating foods or not eating foods to excess that you really love in principle makes sense. But doing it in practice when your primal brain is compelling you to finish it all up, for example, can be incredibly difficult. 
The second thing I want you to consider is how you can stay out of diet mentality. During the festive season, a diet mentality can lead you to overeat and gain weight because you kind of unknowingly are telling yourself that you're going to be, in inverted commas, good, or however you phrase it, in the new year. Women who have a healthy relationship with food don't think this way. You're going to want to reprogram your food relationship. You're going to make some small shifts and changes, create new habits, so that you're not constantly talking to yourself about what you should and shouldn't be having, so that you're not making foods you enjoy something about being rebellious or treating yourself. Thirdly, I want you to consider downplaying or balancing the enjoyment you get from food over the festive season with enjoyment you get from other festive traditions and enjoyment from connecting with family and friends and enjoyment with having extra time for yourself to rest or to do something. When we get good at creating positive emotion from creating the feelings we want to feel more of in non-food ways, it's much easier to not be constantly turning to food to feel better or to make our day better. Learning how to create positive emotion in your life intentionally on purpose is a skill that you can learn, okay? And it's brilliant. It sounds fantastic, doesn't it? How can we feel better? How can we focus on the positive, feel gratitude, feel joy, feel connection, whatever it is that we want, just feeling that Christmassy feeling? As a midlife woman, focusing on health and weight loss is important to acknowledge the holiday season can stir up a mix of emotions. So while some friends may be looking forward to festive activities and mince pie indulgences, know it's also a time when feelings can emerge of stress or sadness. And it's okay if you find yourself grappling with some complex, complex emotions during this period, whether it's because you are dealing with a loss, whether it's because of past Christmas disappointments, whether it's because you're feeling the pressure to do it all. It's really important that you know that these feelings are shared by many people and they are all valid. Also during this time, you might be feeling overwhelmed, have some anxiety or just irritable. And remember, you're not alone in these feelings either and it doesn't reflect negatively on you. It's really important to allow yourself to experience these emotions without judgment. Give yourself time and space to be with your emotions and this will make it easier for you to not then want to numb them with food and drink. We teach you how to do all of this in the Lose Weight Live Life Academy. The fifth thing that I want to suggest for you over the Christmas period is to practice staying intentional. This means practicing both thinking ahead of time what you want and how you can create whatever it is that you want for yourself. It involves you being in the moment with yourself and others. This concept can be a guiding force for personal fulfillment and meaningful interactions. So here's how you might go about doing that. Number one, get really clear about what you want. What do you truly want from this festive season? Don't think about what you think you should want. What do you honestly want? Is it more quality time with family or is that the last thing you want? Is it a chance to relax and rejuvenate? Or is it about maybe what is important to you is actually maintaining your health routines amid the festive indulgences? Define what you want clearly as action-orientated goals. This looks like the small daily habits that will help you create what you want. Don't focus on the outcome goal, focus on the habitual action goals, okay? And this will help you navigate the season with purpose to get what you want from it. 
Something else you can also be doing to help yourself is to be planning ahead. So once your action goals are set, think about the steps needed to achieve them in really small pieces. It's about spending quality time. If it's about spending quality time with loved ones, plan activities or set aside specific times for these gatherings. If it's about maintaining your health, think about how you will balance festive eating with your nutritional needs and moving more and getting outside for some fresh air. Planning helps in you align your daily actions with your overall intentions. Also, being intentional isn't just about planning. It is, as I mentioned, about being fully present. During Christmas gatherings, engage deeply with those around you. Listen actively, share stories, create memories. This also applies to solitary moments. Whether you're enjoying a quiet cup of tea or coffee or taking a walk, be fully present in your experience. And whilst it's great to have a plan, the festive season can be unpredictable. Be prepared to adapt if something doesn't go as planned. Take a moment to reassess and realign your actions with your intentions. So if something doesn't go to plan, notice what the situation is, the circumstances of the situation, notice what your thoughts are about it, notice how you're feeling, and then take a moment and reset yourself and work out what it is important for you in that moment, what you want, and realign your actions with your intentions by thinking differently if you want to. Also, I suggest that at the end of each day, take some time to reflect Ask yourself, did your actions align with your intentions? What could you do differently tomorrow? And lastly, remember to be kind to yourself. The holiday season can be demanding and it's okay to have moments where things don't go as planned. So practice self-compassion, okay? That will also help you stay intentional. Oh, and you also might want to consider sharing your intentions with family and friends. It not only creates a support system, but also helps in creating shared experiences again, to help you create what you want. So in essence, staying intentional over the Christmas period is about creating a festive experience that resonates with your personal values and goals. So it's a blend of thoughtful planning, mindful presence, and adaptive flexibility, all wrapped up in a blanket of self-compassion and shared joy. Okay, so if what you've just heard here resonates, if you would like step-by-step -step guidance for how to do all of this, we start next week on 30th of November in the Academy. So please come use our Black Friday savings offer that runs out on Monday and join us. So that's on Monday the 27th, it finishes. But join us in the Lose Weight Live Life Academy. We've got festive focus classes. We've got workbooks to help you. We've got a special festive focus workbook. We're also going to have daily support in our Academy community. And to find out all of the details, go to www.thebestyou.coach forward slash festive if you want to work with us on our festive program where you can find out what we're doing in December and links to our Black Friday savings whilst they're available. But I can also give you a bit more insight about what those classes are going to be now. So our weekly festive focus classes. First one, as I said, is on Thursday, 30th of November. It's called A Plan for December and it is where... It's really important for you to do this class. So we're going to be covering so much in this class. We're going to be helping you set your festive intentions. We're going to help you create what we call your Christmas food frameworks and make some of those decisions around how you want to be eating. We're also going to be talking about Christmas planning for meals and social occasions. We're going to be looking at family food traditions. We're going to be talking about how to manage over desire for certain Christmas foods, how to stop eating when it just tastes so good how to avoid falling into that all or nothing mindset 
and how to avoid giving up and telling yourself you'll start again or get back to it in January. So it's a lot there for one class, but we are going to do as much of that as possible. Then the following week, we have got an evening class on the Tuesday where we are going to be focusing on taking care of you. So we're going to be helping you be intentional about taking care of yourself during the festive season, whether you are hosting family gatherings, whether you have Christmas parties, whether you're cooking on the day or organising visits to others or spending time alone. Chances are the festive season brings some specific challenges. So we're going to help you with all of those. We're going to also look at thoughts that you may be having about yourself, body image and how you look. Again, we're going to be talking about staying out of diet mentality. We are going to help you with strategies for not overeating the food that no one else is eating. So that, as I said, it's a bit like the Christmas pudding in my fridge one. We're also going to be helping you find time for you amongst the hustle and bustle and helping you make sure that you're not in the mode of chronic people pleasing. Then the following week on the 12th of December, we're going to be talking about those festive emotions. So we're going to be talking about handling negative emotion and creating positive emotion on purpose. We're going to look at how to find calm in chaos, peace in grief, and how to deal with the disappointment of failed expectations and feeling unappreciated. And as I said, we're going to look at the positives as well, how we can create more comfort, more joy, more connection, more appreciation, and if you want it, excitement. Okay, then the week before Christmas, we are going to be talking all things food, family and friends. Okay, so we're going to revisit your Christmas food plan and look at how you're thinking and feeling about food, family and friends and more so that we can identify any challenges or obstacles that you think might come up. So if we've got food pushers in your family who just want to love you with food, we're going to help you put a plan in place for how to deal with them so that you can see the results you want throughout the festive season. Then between Christmas and New Year, we've got another evening call on the Thursday, the 28th of December, where we're going to help you reflect on the previous Christmas week, take time to look at what worked for you and what you want to learn from because that's really, really useful to help you with what you want to be doing moving forward. We're also going to help you with making the most of your Twixmas days, I think they're called. So helping you ease into the new year. We will probably talk a lot about leftovers and we're going to be starting to talk about setting some ways of being or action focused goals for 2024. All right. So again, check out all of the details at www.thebestyou.coach forward slash festive. And now I want you to, if you want to, got coming up next, we've got our coaching call from a call that we did last month in the Lose Weight Live Life Academy, where I talk all about all things snacking, resistance to meal planning and diet mentality. Okay, so as always, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening and have a great week. This is our weekly group coaching and Q&A call and you can come here and you can ask me a question about anything. You can share anything that you would like help with on your weight loss journey. We also do life coaching on this call as well. So if there's something that you would like like life coaching on, you can also bring that to me either through using the Q&A box or by raising your hand. So we're always working on our relationship with food, which is what we focus on for the first three months if you're new in the academy and your relationship with yourself and your relationship with your life or really looking at how you can up level and live your best life. So I've got a couple of things to talk to you about this evening, but if you've got your own questions, please do go ahead. So thank you 
Thank you, Lindsay, for the question that you posted earlier. Just wanted to find that and I've lost it again. Oh, not with it this evening. Okay. So thanks, Lindsay. So Lindsay says, I've not got to grips with it all yet. I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. I'm playing catch up a bit and off on holiday at the weekend, but I'm taking everything I've learned with me and I'm running the cupboards down so I can properly plan when I get back. One thing I started to ask last night is, can we plan for snacks as fruit? Not be specific about time and quantity just have the right stuff in and snack on them i'm trying not to eat all the grapes and i'm consciously eating them but also noticing i'm enjoying the taste and i feel like i'm getting a drink of nutrients if that makes sense i've also upped my water intake and have started working through the workbook life is a bit manic at the moment but everything i've read or listened to or seen is really clicking so that's really great to hear and thank you for asking the question i'm going to talk about snacking But before I do that, I just wanted to say those of you that feel like you might be getting behind or are playing catch up, I really want you to notice if you start to feel overwhelmed or confused. I know that's not what you're saying. I don't think that's what you're saying, Lindsay, but it just reminded me to talk to um, others who might be. So if you start to feel like you're getting behind, I really want you to think about how you can make this as easy for you as possible. The easier you can make it the more comfortable you can feel with your approach, the more you can let go of there being a right or wrong way to do this and trusting that you can make it your way and that's all that matters is really important. So if we fall into that perfectionist thinking, if we have to keep up and do it, doing it all or as we've got behind or we're failing in some way, it's going to make it more difficult for you to come back and do it because you're going to have some self-judgment there because we've all been conditioned to judge ourselves and think there's a right and a wrong way. And there just isn't. It's just all different social constructs. So I want you, if you feel that way, if you relate to what I'm saying at all, then I want you to be asking yourself, what is the what is the best way for me to be doing this? What does that look like to for me? What experience do I want to create for myself with this? And that might be deciding that actually, and this would feel like a gift to me, or it would have done at times, almost like gifting yourself 90 minutes and going to a coffee shop at the weekend with your laptop or your phone and your journal and some worksheets printed out and maybe some headphones to listen and go and gift yourself that time and create doing it in a really sort of pleasant environment and and make that you know special and sacred for you that's one approach that i really like the idea of and recommend and love but for some of you that just won't be possible and so for some of you it might be that it looks like you finding 20 minutes most days of the week or you know it doesn't have to be every day either at your lunchtime if you have one or early morning or an evening and creating that experience for you then again I always I always associate self-coaching and journaling and doing this type of work with having a nice cup of coffee that is really important to me and also being comfortable making sure I'm warm and cozy so think about what you want that to look like for others of you the best approach might be to literally be doing the the sort of listening work and and the application work in like five or 10 minute snippets. So it might be on, you know, having it on while you're in the shower, when you're driving to work, when you're driving back from work, when you're getting dinner ready, if you're on your own in the kitchen, and it might be literally trying to grab five or 10 minutes whenever you can. And if you relate to that, then you're going to want to look at how you are accessing the material. And it might well be that the private podcast, because that's going to remember where you got up to unless it tends to have a mind of its own in in the car which is what mine seems to do I seem to suddenly miss things and realize it's been playing with the volume down low so 
figure out how not to do that because that's what I struggle with. But anyway, and then you can like stop and start it pretty easily and you've always got the next bit to listen to. Also, the other thing that is really important is that you don't just passively consume the information. Passively consuming the information will help you. But when you do the application work and you do the worksheets, but not only that, when you learn the skill of paying attention and noticing your thoughts and your feelings and starting to question them, that's when you're going to start to feel to see the real results and the sort of fundamental shifts at the causal level. So changes in your brain, your mind and emotions. We'll be talking about more about mind and emotions in the coming weeks, the Food for Thought program, if you're new. That's when you're going to start to feel those shifts and notice what a an easier weight loss journey can look like, a more sustainable weight loss journey can look like. So then that's when you're going to sort of start to see that it really does feel like what I call weight wellness. You don't have to lose all your weight to experience that. Okay. Now I'm going to talk about snacking. Okay. And if you've got any questions, then do please come on and in and ask me. So snacking is one of those things where I'm going to sort of say some things, but I also want you to know that I'm not going to tell anybody not to snack. So I would really encourage you to think about what your thoughts are on snacking. What do you believe about having snacks? Do you think they're necessary? Do you think they are required? Do you think they are about nutrition and nourishment? Do you think they're about giving yourself energy? Do you think they're about giving yourself a treat? Could be all of the above, but just start to be really conscious of your thoughts around snacking. Snacking is one of the areas where I, you know, I talk about how we're fishing water and we don't see the water that is around, well, not that we are fish, but we don't see the air. (laughs) We don't see the air that we breathe. It just is. Snacks are often something a little bit like that. They just are. But I want you to consider why you snack, what you snack on, when you snack, when you, um, and what if I told you that snacking for most people, and there will be exceptions to this for medical reasons, but for most people, snacking is not necessary and it's purely an emotional event. Now, that doesn't mean you, you shouldn't do it. doesn't mean that I'm telling you not to do it. I just want you to recognize that most of us do not require snacks to fuel our bodies. For most of us, the snacks that we give ourselves are not, you know, massively high in loads of vitamins and minerals and all of those sorts of things. And even if they were, if we are having, you know, healthy meals, meals that are giving our bodies the nutrients and the nourishment that they require at meal times, there is no requirement for your body for you to snack in between meals. Okay. And again, there are going to be exceptions to the rule. People on medication who might need to eat something to take that medication. People with type one or type two diabetes that are, you know, managing their diabetes with their medication. There's all sorts of, you know, exceptions to that. But generally, if you're a healthy human and you've got excess fat on your body, then there is no need. There's no reason why your body can't go, um, you know, four, five, six hours between a meal. And if you think about the fact that when you're asleep overnight, your body goes far longer than, you know, the four, five, six hours between a meal. Now, some of you might be um, have, you know, very physical manual work. And so you might find that um, on days where you're doing your manual work, actually you do want, you know, you are feeling sort of a normal physical hunger between meals. But most of us do not need nutritionally 
energetically to be snacking. Okay. That doesn't mean I'm going to tell you not to snack, but I just want you to think, I want you to see it's a really good way for you to see that snacking is pretty much a social construct, but the food manufacturing industry has designed all of these snacks. We were given snacks as children during school, you know, when we got home from school, that is something that, you know, we've sort of grown up with. It's just normal in our world. We just don't think about whether or not we actually need to be snacking. Snacking is often more emotional than nutritional. Um, and as I said before, many snacks actually provide little nutritional value. All right. But snacking has become a cultural norm, partly due to industrial and marketing influences. And the snack industry is actually valued. I found this at $171 billion. And that's like, I think that number actually was from a few years ago. So I'm sure it's probably increased significantly since then. And so we have a cultural inclination to snack, but it doesn't necessarily align with our biological needs. So our human bodies store excess fat. And then the idea is that we utilize that excess fat for energy between meals. And if we are constantly snacking, then it makes it much more difficult for us to give our human bodies the opportunity to utilize our fat on our bodies between meals. Okay, and when we snack regularly or we graze on food regularly, we never give our body a chance to use those onboard reserves. Our body gets really poor at doing so. And so we actually train our bodies. I was talking about training our brain last night. It's almost like we train our bodies unknowingly to not use our onboard fat. And when the energy reserves from the meal we've just eaten have all been used up, we find that we have hunger signals going to our brain. And this is actually because of hormonal imbalance hunger signals going to our brain. So we go out and eat again, but we're never giving ourselves the opportunity to use that weight on our bodies. And some of you may have heard me before using the expression of dining in. Okay, so we don't we don't need to go out and get food, we're going to dine in and use our own body fat as a source of fuel and energy. Um, also consider that the brain is wired. We were talking about this last night for those of you in the class to seek rewards through activities like eating, releasing feel good chemicals like dopamine and serotonin. All right. Um, so many of us snack because it's the only time we take a break. If the only time you take a break from work is when you eat or snack, is it any wonder that you feel the need to snack between meals? All right. And I totally relate to this one. And even though I know this and I teach this, I still find it really hard to take a break unless there's I'm doing something and eating feels like doing something, doesn't it? OK, so awareness and self-reflection on your snacking habits is the first step. Um, and then we go from there. OK, nighttime snacking also is something that many of you may struggle with it's really can become really deeply ingrained with habit loops and reward associations in the brain so that might be something that you want to take a look at now let me sort of like say what I'm actually going to say about snacking and I will answer your question about the grapes as well and actually what you asked me Lindsay in just a second so um so what my thoughts are on snacking is first of all to is to you know, do that tracking that you've been doing so you're aware of when you're snacking. Are you snacking, um, you know, three times a day, twice a day, just after the evening meal? What is your snacking look like? Is your snacking consistent? So would it be abnormal for you to not have a snack between breakfast and lunch, lunch and dinner, or in the evening? 
Okay, you just want to know what your current snacking is looking like. Now, if all of those snacks are what we might call snacks on foods that are high in added sugar, refined carbohydrates, added fat, not with the typical healthy label, then the first thing that you might want to do is to start to look at how you might go around changing those snacks out, making them something that is more about nourishment and fuel and nutrition and less about giving you the comfort and pleasure of doing that. Um, okay, so that's something to start off with. So if you are someone who's having loads of snacks, all high in refined carbs and added sugars, I'm never going to say to you, oh, you shouldn't be snacking. Okay, I'm just not going to do that. Um, and in my how I'm eating for myself now, I have phases where I don't snack and phases where I do snack. And I believe because we're always looking to find this equilibrium, I don't know if that's the right word, balance, balance, same as in equilibrium, I don't know, the balance for us that is between eating for fuel and nutrition and nourishment and eating for comfort and pleasure. And it, snacking may well fit into either of those parts. And so we, it's all about making this work for you. But what I don't want you to do is to blindly um, assume that we have to snack in order to sustain ourselves because it's just not true. So I want you to get really open and honest with yourself about how you are um, snacking and what that is about for you and what are your beliefs about snacking that you want to unpick and unravel. Um, when we talk about hunger, which I think we're doing next week, um, I taught you about different um, sort of levels of hunger and how I suggest you eat depending on whether or not you are or aren't snacking between your meals. Um, I also, so we've talked a bit about snacking. So I would suggest that you don't start, as I said, with cutting out snacks. You start with looking at your snacks, changing your snacks, thinking about where you want to be eating for comfort and pleasure. Do you want that to be snacks between meals? Do you want that to be, you know, desserts? Do you want that to be evening chocolate? What do you want to your part of that balance to look like for you? Where do you want to be putting it? If you had, I was trying to work out, it's like I've used the analogy of money before. So if you have got, um, I don't know, you know, if, you, if you've if you got um, a certain amount of money to live off, say you've got a hundred pounds to live off for a week and you have got to, with that £100, buy all of the essentials for your household, all of your, um, you know, loo, I'm making this up as I go along, so who knows where we're going to end up with this. I think about loo roll and cleaning products and toothpaste and all of those things. And you've got to buy the food that, um, you know, you need to sustain yourself. But you also um, want to think about having an Alex. So maybe you've got £100 to spend, spend on essentials and £20 to spend on you know, treat items. And this is what you've deduced with the amount of money that you've got to spend. You want to be really careful. Um, you want to get, make sure that the, the treat items, the unnecessary items that you buy with those monies give you the maximum amount of pleasure that you like how you allocate those funds and spend your money. And that's what I want you to do I want you, how I want you to be thinking about it with your food in terms of looking for the right balance for you. And you're looking to get the maximum amount of emotional support from food because there's nothing wrong with that unless it is hindering our weight loss and making us be unhappy with our weight or unhealthy with our weight. I don't want to take the pleasure of eating away from anyone because it's a really significant part of life, but we want to get the balance right for us. And if we're getting the balance right for us, then we are going to be restricting that somewhat. And if we're restricting it somewhat, then we really want to be careful about when we're eating 
those foods for the, all of those different reasons that aren't about nutrition and nourishment. Okay. Um, right. Now let me answer the question of, about grapes. Um, okay. I'll come back. Thanks, Lindsay. You're putting some more in the chat. I'm going to, I'm just going to ask, answer your question about grapes and I'm going to come to those. So, um, with grapes, so planning, if you're planning, yes, I would suggest planning your snacks. If you are having grapes, I would suggest writing down, you know, 10 grapes or how, depending on how big the grapes are, um, however many grapes that you want to be having. If also, and I think I just saw a glimpse there that you actually, um, actually, let me look at that because I think that will be relevant. Right. Yeah. So Lindsay's just shared that she has peak COS and an underactive thyroid. And as a result of that, has developed type two diabetes. So she's trying to avoid evening snacks as if as I just had a meal, I shouldn't need it. But in just in the afternoon, sometimes have fruit. OK, so what I would suggest, especially with the type two diabetes and PCOS as well, is that you don't have fruit on its own. So I really suggest that you pair the fruit with some fat or maybe a little bit of protein and fat is actually better than protein because if you have fruit on its own it's going to sort of spike your blood sugar whereas if you have fruit with um some full fat natural yogurt um i'm trying to think about so you might have a little bit of cheese and it's not necessarily going to fall in the healthy fat category but i'd still rather you had it with a little bit of cheese um or some nuts something like that it's going to dampen down your um, spike in blood sugar, which is also going to then mean that you're not going to have to have such a big insulin response in response to that. So what we want to be doing is having sort of like evening out our blood sugar levels rather than having these up and downs, ups and downs. So um, so do pair the grapes with something is my recommendation. And that actually is probably a recommendation for all of you. That's not, that's not going to give you any, do any harm to any of you. Um, as I mentioned before, research shows that as we go through perimenopause and into menopause, we do become more insulin resistant. Um, Zoe Health has done the research on that. And that means that we want to be more careful about eating foods that will spike our blood sugar, cause our bodies to release more insulin. The more insulin that we release more frequently, more often in bigger quantities, the more insulin resistance we're going to get. And insulin resistance often precedes type 2 diabetes. OK, so we all want to be looking to sort of even out those blood sugar levels. So rather than have fruit on your own, on its own as a snack, I would pair something with it. The other thing, if you really enjoy fruit, you might want to do is have it at the end of a meal. OK, um, so that can work well for you as well. Um, so Lindsay says I'm plant based. OK, so I've just given you so nuts would be OK. Maybe not the cheese. Um, you might want to look at some um plant-based yogurt alternatives um i've always checked the sugar content of those so you're looking for some healthy fats to have with your grapes if possible nuts seeds um, are the ones that come to mind right now okay um lindsay goes on to say today was more about opening the fridge door oh look there are the grapes i'm popping in a few so if i have planned it i'm allowing it but still wondering if i actually need it okay i understand right thank you so um you probably don't need the grapes. So really, so it'd be really useful for you to pay attention to when you start to think you need the grapes and to observe what you're experiencing when you are having the thought, like, you know, is the, is the desire to have the grapes coming from a thought, the thought that you need them is the thought that you're hungry is the thought that, oh, they'd be nice. They're sweet. They're refreshing. They're nutritious. 
find out what are the thoughts that are creating the desire for the grapes. When we open the fridge door and see something, it's the fact the grapes are there and it's that trigger, isn't it? It's that visual stimulation, going back to Pavlov's dogs um, that I was talking about yesterday, that visual stimulation to eat the grapes. So um, planning is going to help you not um, do that. And what I would say with planning is put the grapes on your plan or put the grapes and the nuts together on your plan. And if you notice that you're not hungry, then don't have them. Um, If you notice that you don't particularly, you're not particularly bothered by having them, then don't have them. Just because you put stuff on your plan doesn't mean that you have to have it. But um, observe what you're thinking about um, where you go about that. All right. Thanks, Lindsay. If you've got anything else about that or you're not sure, just keep coming back and keep asking because that really is um, the way to work through this. So thank you for asking that question and letting me um, have the opportunity to talk to you all about snacking, which I think is useful. So just this is all about paying attention, understanding your default um, beliefs that have probably gone unquestioned since you were a child. Um, and noticing what is normal to you and start to think about what you actually think and whether or not it is helping you, hindering you, true or not. You know, is it biologically, physiologically true or not? The other thing I wanted to talk about this evening, if anyone else has got any questions at all, by the way, please do go ahead and pop it in the Q&A box or raise your hand if you would like to come on and get coached. The other thing I wanted to talk a bit more about this evening was a topic that came up on the Food for Thought call last night, which is around planning and feeling resistance and possibly, you know, planning, reminding you or triggering thoughts that you associate with dieting. And for some of you, this feels very, um, I'm trying to think of the other word for resistance, but you notice a lot of resistance. You notice you really don't want to go there. And I use the word diet trauma. And so I want to talk more about that. So first of all, I want to talk about, you know, recap why it is for those of you who weren't on the call that I want you to be planning. Okay. I want you to be planning because I want you to get good at making food decisions with your human brain. So when we plan what we're going to eat, you know, the day before or at least like a good sort of six hours or four hours maybe six hours I would stick with before we're going to eat it you're using a different part of your brain than when you make the decisions in the moment so when you open the fridge door and you see the grapes and you fancy the grapes that's your primal brain in action it's your primal brain's job to have you eat those grapes because remember your primal brain is designed to manage your relationship with food for being in the wild, as to, for being an animal. See something delicious as grapes, sweet, juicy, all of those things. Of course, your primal brain is, oh, we should definitely eat those, all right? This is why we want to have the plan, because when you're planning, you're able to weigh up the pros and cons. You're able to um, take on board information that I've shared, such as don't eat grapes on their own. Your primal brain's not going to be thinking that. You, you might just catch yourself if you're lucky and see the nuts next to it, but otherwise your primal brain's just going to be like, you just got to eat the grapes. So you want to be using your human brain to make more of your food decisions. You want to get practiced at doing that. So your so your human brain, so your primal brain gets quieter. You want to empower yourself to decide how you want to eat to lose weight. It's really difficult for you to get a little bit scientific um, and very pragmatic 
about how you want to eat to lose weight if you're not planning, because you haven't got the awareness to how you're eating and what you're eating and when you're eating and why you're eating that I want you to have. Eating is so habitual, so normal. We have to, you know, take ourselves away from ourselves to start to look at this with a fresh perspective. Planning supports you doing that. Planning also enables you to identify when your primal brain, your mind and your emotions want to override your human executive decision making about how you want to eat to lose weight. Your planning enables you to see those points of conflict so that you can be aware of them. When you're aware of them, you can start to understand them. When you understand them, you can put strategies in place for them. When you put strategies in place for them and practice those strategies, you build more skills and capability, and then it gets easier for you to eat the way you want to lose weight. Also, just on a really pragmatic, practical level, when you plan, you and you plan, and I recommend looking at your calendar as you plan, you foresee any challenges and obstacles. You foresee that actually on Friday night, you haven't got time to eat because you finish work at this time and you've got to be there at that time. So you're going to be eating in the car. So, okay, you need to work something out so you're eating in the car so you're not just eating a bar of chocolate and bag of crisps. Okay. Um, Also, yeah, planning enables you to discover what works for you when it comes to weight loss. You want to figure out if this way of eating is enabling me to lose weight. And when you are not planning, it's much more difficult to be accurate about that. I don't mean obsessively accurate. I just mean accurate enough you can use your plan to help you make changes going forward okay now when you plan on a diet you are planning because you're telling yourself you have to eat these prescribed this prescribed way or dictated way of eating it's very different um so the purpose of the plan with dieting is to restrict what you're eating. The purpose of the plan with what we're doing here is not to restrict your eating. It's to use it as a learning tool to assist you with understanding your relationship with food. Um, So I want to talk a bit about diet trauma. So diet trauma, I would refer to as small T trauma. So little trauma. And little traumas relate to experiences that are not life-threatening, but still have emotional and psychological impact. So unlike what we might call big T trauma, which refers to shocking or life-threatening events, such as natural disasters, accidents, assault, that's not small T traumas, maybe distressing events that affect you on a personal level, okay? So we don't want to um, ignore them. We don't want to diminish them. So small T traumas, small T traumas, might have arisen out of you feeling humiliated or rejected or disappointed, okay? How many of us can associate humiliation, rejection or disappointment with previous experiences of weight loss, okay? Um, How many of us felt incredibly uncomfortable at slimming clubs when we had to explain why we hadn't lost the weight in front of the class? Small T trauma might also um, be triggered by stress inducing events or even just encountering really small daily micro aggressions or prejudices. Now, if your mean girl is anywhere as near as mean as mine around my failed weight loss attempts and dieting previously, it probably falls into that category. My own micro aggression from myself, my negative self-talk 
has probably been quite traumatic. Okay, so some of us associated previous diets or failed attempts at previous diets with feelings, as I said, of humiliation, rejection, whether it's by ourselves or by others, intense stress and that mean girl thinking that I was talking to you about. And these small T traumas can significantly influence our emotional well-being and can lead us to feel anxious, depressed um, and find it difficult to have high self-esteem. All right. And I say this because I don't want you to diminish your resistance to planning if you think it is associated with feelings of you know diet trauma i want you to honor what you're feeling and be gentle and careful with yourself if you notice resistance to planning the other area where this comes up a lot in the work that we do is weighing on getting on the scales so for some of you getting on the scales might feel you know so traumatic and i think i probably talked about this in setting yourself up for success that you just don't you just can't face it right now and i want you to just go with yourself on that and just keep checking back occasionally to see when you're ready you might want to do the same thing with planning but i also so fine balance i don't want you to let yourself off the hook okay i only want you to be treading this sort of a careful conversation with yourself around planning if it really does feel traumatic um in such a way that you feel it's going to have a negative impact on your emotional well-being all right. And that starts with you being curious about why you don't want to plan um, and remembering that you always get to decide what's right for you always. OK, um, and tell yourself that you've got your own back on this. It's like, yeah, we're going to go through this together. If we feel that this really is too triggering for us and we don't want to plan, we're just going to carefully move forward and just keep checking back and see if that has shifted. OK, you will notice as you move forward on this program, things that you didn't want to do, didn't seem possible, that you could never imagine yourself doing at the beginning. In a few months time, you're going to be like, actually, you know what? I don't want to do that now. OK, so just keep an open mind is all that I am saying for you. What is also really important for you to know is that it is not the plan or the process of planning that is triggering you or causing your resistance. It is not those things. It is the thoughts that you have, the leftover previous experiences that are generating those thoughts, whether they're conscious or subconscious, that is creating the resistance, okay? And you want to work out what they are so that you can tweak them, all right? Um, so as I say, at the same time, on the flip side of that, I don't want you to just be like, oh, I don't want to plan and let yourself off the hook. I want you to do that self-reflection and practice self-awareness and be honest with yourself. So, for example, if you are resistant to planning because you think it's too restrictive, ask yourself, what do you mean? What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? If you mean that it's going to stop you diving into the biscuit cupboard when you're bored, then I want you to consider that maybe that's a good thing. Maybe actually that will help you because at the end of the day, do you want to be diving into the biscuit cupboard when you're bored? If you want to lose weight, um, have different health outcomes, whatever it is about for you, it might be restrictive to stop doing that. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. What is the problem with restriction? So we restrict ourselves all of the time and we don't make it mean something bad. We don't make it mean it's not fair. We don't make it mean we feel deprived. We restrict ourselves. Well, maybe not all of, maybe some of it, it comes naturally too. 
I was gonna say we restrict ourselves from driving too fast, but maybe that says too much about me. We restrict ourselves from driving too fast. We restrict ourselves. Okay, maybe this is saying too much about me again. I was gonna say from telling our partner every single thought that goes through our minds. We restrict ourselves from taking illegal drugs. Why is it when it comes to food that restriction is a bad thing or restriction so that you can be healthier or restriction so that you can lose the weight that you want and have more energy and wear the clothes that you want and feel more confident, whatever it is, the reasons are you want to lose weight. Why is it that that's a bad thing? I just want you to, again, question yourself and bring awareness to all of this. So it becomes a bad thing when we layer on thoughts of it's not fair. I just want to eat like a normal person or thoughts of self-judgment about the fact that you're making yourself wrong because you're telling yourself you shouldn't need to restrict yourself and you should just be able to eat without restricting yourself and get it right. Okay, but it's not it's not your fault and it's not that easy because as I said, your primal brain makes all your food decisions and your primal brain is on a focused on lots of things that aren't helpful for you when you're wanting to lose weight. So when you're in a place like this, it can be really useful to flip the narrative. What is restrictive about not planning? What is restrictive about not planning? I want you to ask yourself that question. If this, And I'm just using restriction as an example here. It might be something else that comes up for you in relation to planning that you might want to sort of flip the narrative on. So could it be possible that eating more freely in your week means that you're mindlessly eating foods that aren't about nourishment and fuel and nutrition, but you're not actually enjoying them. And then you find that you haven't got any opportunity to eat the foods that you really do want to enjoy because you are, you get a sense you've already gained weight for the week or something like that. Okay. Do you think it really feels better to sort of give yourself free reign and free will and to be carefully planning how you want to get, as I was saying earlier, almost like the biggest bang for your buck, okay, on this nutrition and nourishment and comfort and pleasure balance that we're looking for. If you have 30 nutritional beings and six emotional ones, when it comes to eating and choosing your foods, how do you want to spend them wisely? I just made up those numbers. How much are you restricting life when you're not restricting your food? If you are, you know, holding yourself back from social occasions, or if you've got health concerns because of your weight, then not restricting your food is going to be restricting your life. Which would you rather have be restricted, your food or your life? Figuring out how to get that balance right requires you to do some trial and error. And it's very difficult to do that without planning. Okay, do we have any more questions? Okay, thanks, Laura. Laura says, I don't snack, but if I don't have breakfast, then I find mid-morning I get hungry and reach for the biscuits. But I don't always have time for breakfast or it's too early. Okay, everyone's different when it comes to breakfast. Some of you will find that if you have breakfast, you're more hungry than if you don't. Others of you will find that having not having breakfast just doesn't like sit right with you and you're better off if you have breakfast start to trust yourself. But what I suggest you do is plan, you want to plan your snack, okay, so that you're not reaching for the biscuits. So if you don't have time for breakfast, then I would ask yourself why that is. Is it because some days you need to leave for work maybe earlier than others? It sounds like what it might be like if you say it's too early. So it sounds like you you don't like eating so at a certain time, but you want, you're better if you have breakfast. So just get really clear on, okay, what time what time does it work for me to eat breakfast? And what days 
or when can I eat breakfast at that time? And when, what would I like that breakfast to be? And on those days that I don't have time to eat breakfast, when do I want to, you know, what do I want to do instead? Do I want to plan for a mid-morning snack? Do I want to have a half half of my breakfast, whatever it is I normally have for breakfast, do I want to have that mid-morning? Sort of experiment with some different things there. So I leave home at 6.30 if I'm going into work. So um, I would be asking, so what, I don't know what time you get to work. Can you have breakfast at work? What would that require you to do? Does it depend on what meetings you have at work first thing in the morning when you get there? I don't know if you are commuting on a train. If you are, can you eat breakfast on the train or are you driving? But ultimately, it's like, okay, what is the best thing for me to be doing here? And how can I do that within the, you know, the the reality that is my life. So breakfast at work might be an option. If you seems like you've got time mid-morning to eat some biscuits. So it might just be that you need, you want to have a really quick breakfast and you might have time for that at work. So I'm trying to think what what might you do? So I think that I don't know what I don't know what things you normally have for breakfast, but sort of like, you know, whole whole yogurt, berries, seeds, nuts healthy, nutritious. And that's, I think that's pretty quick. I love having eggs. Well, I don't actually eat breakfast, but if I did, I would have eggs for breakfast. That's what most people in my family have eggs for breakfast. That's not going to be something that works for you. Might work on the weekends, but that's not going to work for you on a weekday. You might want to have, I don't know, some hummus and carrots for a mid-morning snack. That might be something else that works, but really think about um, setting yourself up. So I drive and it takes an hour to get to work. This gives me half an hour before I start work. Okay, so you've got that half an hour. What would it look like for you to have a a delicious breakfast, something that feels nourishing, that you enjoy? Maybe want to sit down and have tea or coffee um, or a drink with it. What does that look like for you? If you were, you know, if we think about, you know, how much, think about how we treat our, you know, if you've got um, children, babies, how much we tender to their needs and care for them and want to give them the right foods to nourish them. Um, I want you to be thinking about doing that for yourself. How can you be kindly give yourself what you need in the mornings? What would that look like for you? Take the care to to do that for yourself. I'm having total brain lapse here and other breakfast alternatives. If you want to post in the Facebook group, then we can um, crowdsource some ideas and I can also try and find some other options that might work for you. Another one might be that sometimes, well, I'm not, sometimes people really like is overnight soaked oats. I'm not a fan of oats for breakfast. I find that they spike my blood sugar. They make me hungrier. I know that some people like them. I would rather go with a pure full fat yogurt, berries, nuts and seeds type root without the oats, but that's, everybody's different. Yeah. Okay. I think I'll take the yogurts, nuts and seeds and I can have that mid morning if I don't eat it. And then when I arrive at work. Okay. So also, yeah, I'm sure if you Google some ideas as well for, um, you know, portable breakfasts or breakfast that I can eat at work, some people are going to have some really good ideas. All right. Thank you for asking, Laura. Does anyone else have any questions? Anyone else have any questions this evening? No? Okay. All right. Please do post in the Facebook group, ask questions, keep in touch. I would love to know how you're all getting on. And yeah, let me know what we can do to support you. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a good evening and take care. All right. Speak to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and are ready to live a more intentional life, 
lose weight as a part of that journey and create a relationship with food and yourself that you love, then I would be honored to have you join the Lose Weight Live Life Academy membership and coach with me. The program offers different levels of support to suit you, including self-paced learning, twice-weekly calls, private coaching, an amazingly caring community, and lots more. Find out all the details about when and how you can join at www.thebestyou.coach forward slash coaching.